I just want people to see me. And when they see me, they see someone who is unapologetically them. And I hope that I am able to show people that look like me, whether that's a woman, a little girl, a little black girl who wasn't, who doesn't feel like they're the, you're going to be somebody. They're like the nerds with the glasses, real skinny, me. <laughs> I just want you to know that your, your time is coming. Stay patient and, you know, just be confident unapologetically you at all times. I think that's my biggest thing. And that's just who I am. everyone, Emily Abadi coming to you live from the AG studio. You are listening to episode 184 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. Today, I am so, so, so excited to bring you my conversation with Dee Dee Richards. She's a WNBA player for the New York Liberty, and man, does she have a story. For today's episode, we dive into what happened to Dee Dee on October 24th. 2020, the on-court freakish collision that left her temporarily paralyzed while playing at Baylor. Yet 38 days later, thanks to her strong will, outrageous support system, great doctors, and trusting her gut, she was back in the game. Plus, so much more, the emotional and mental repercussions that that incident had for her, what it was like for her to get drafted, her strong feelings about social media, using it to your benefit, and also being realistic about the content that is on there being, as many of us refer to, a highlight reel. We also talk about her partnership with Quest for their rookie challenge, why it's a perfect fit for her, and how you can enter to win $20,000 to support your personal quest to maybe make a difference in your community. Again, for more details on that, head on over to questrookiechallenge.com. Honestly, this episode, this conversation, so inspiring. I feel like I have been on kind of another level lately when it comes to just garnering these stories of life-changing hurdle moments. And I'm so, so grateful that part of what I do, part of my job is to bring you them week after week. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I'm over at Emily Abadi. And if you have a question for me, I'm all ears. I would love to answer it on an upcoming episode of the show. To leave me a voice message, click on over to the show notes and do just that. Last plug of the episode, if you haven't done so yet, make sure to sign up for Hurdle's SMS texting service to get more inspiration and the stuff that you love, exclusive deals and goodness right to your phone by texting the word welcome to 732 Hurdler. Again, text the word welcome to 732 Hurdler. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dee Dee Richards. She is a WNBA great. She plays for the New York Liberty. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to see you today. I feel like right off the bat, I have to be honest with you in that I went to UConn. Oh, gosh. I'm so happy you said that. I mean, I... I'm still going to be okay during this, but I'm going to look at you a little different. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. I get it. I just, I just felt like I needed to air that out right off the bat. Didi went to Baylor, Baylor and UConn, a little bit of a rivalry. Listen, it's a little bit, but not a lot. And then like, we're going to be that bridge that makes it not a rivalry. (laughs) We're going to be the bridge that makes it not a rivalry. I like that. And I also feel really flattered right now because I'll be honest, I tried to do a dive into the, the Didi Richards podcast archives, and there wasn't much to dive into. Although you did chat with a friend of mine, uh, Trista, when she was over at Barstool. Oh my, oh my gosh. 
Oh my God. Like that was like one of my favorite interviews. First off, it's freaking Barstool. And so like that was my first one right after the tournament. So I was super excited. So I didn't know. I'm so happy like y'all like know each other. That's, see, forget the UConn Baylor thing. Forget it. Bridge. <laughs> We're building the bridge. Yeah. I am so inspired by you. I'll never forget. I, uh, my, another one of my girlfriends is Jess Sims. You may know her cause she's the in, in arena house for the Liberty. And before she started officially, I went with her to one of the games and she said, this must've been like maybe three or four months ago, five months ago. I mean, it feels like forever. She said, M you need to talk to BD. <laughs> I love Jess. So if when you see her, please give her a hug. I will. I will. Hopefully I'll see her. I'm running, I'm running the New York marathon this weekend. Hopefully I'm gonna see her up in Harlem. Oh, you look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm not a run for fun kind of girl. I will tell you that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You have other talents here. So like I said, intro to you, WNBA basketball player. Did you grow up with a, just like basketball was your thing or did this, was this something that you kind of came into with age? Definitely the second one. Um, I hated sports. Like I was not a sports girl. I was like, ew, sweat. I can't do poor makeup. Like, ew. And then my brother, we were like a sport family other than my mom. But like everything was sport, sport driven. And I'm like, well, if my mom didn't play sports, then I don't have to play sports. You know, like being a mom's girl. So definitely came with age. I grew to love it like around middle school. So, but I'm happy I fell in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> and not only did you fall in love with it, but you started to really succeed at it. So when did that, I'm actually really good at this realization kind of happen for you? I want to say it's when I got my first offer. And like, ironically, my first offer was from Baylor. So like that was like around eighth, ninth grade. And once I got an offer from Baylor, like Kim Volpe, I'm like, oh, I might be able to do this long term. Like that's, that's a legend. <laughs> so it, <laughs> the love came with me like, oh, I'm actually kind of good. It didn't come like, oh, I'm so in love with this is where it came because you start beating people and that becomes fun. <laughs> See, but what you're talking about is interesting, right? Because in order to get to that place, like you have to stick with it for a certain amount of time. So there must have been something about basketball that you really did enjoy, even at the beginning, maybe the team aspect. I should say yes, because that's the politically correct answer. But it was more so like it was just a competitive nature and I'm a competitive person. So like I was more in love with, oh, that person beat me today than like, I'm going to keep working so I can beat them tomorrow or next month or next year. So I fell in love more with that part of the game with just the being able to compete, the competing nature, and then just being able to be out there with people. The competitive nature, obviously it kind of takes a whole new meaning when you start to play in college. Talk to me about that shift for you. And what were some of the first differences you noticed about that next level of play? Definitely the strength and the speed. But like you said, like the competitive drive, like in college compared to high school is so different. It's night and day because you're kind of playing it for, for fun in high school it's more of a job now in college and then you get in the big leagues and it's even a bigger job, a bigger business. So it's just knowing, I think that was the biggest thing I noticed as a freshman was like, mom, like I got to actually go into the gym and work like on off time, like all the time because everyone out here could shoot and everyone out here could dribble. Now you have to find a way to separate yourself. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. What, what does that work look like? People hear that, like, I'm in the gym, I'm working all the time, but you're saying it's bigger than just the skill drills that we're seeing on the court. What did that look like for you at the time? Um, it, it took me a long time to buy into it. It's more of a, it's an art. Like someone that's just dedicated to the gym, that's, that's crazy because you're dedicated to putting your body through basically hell, you know? So it was an art that I had to learn to fall in love with because you're, constantly running or you're constantly trying to perfect what you're not good at. I think people go into the gym and they want to perfect what they are already good at. And I think that's what makes the difference between pros and, you know, average players is pros go in there and they try and perfect what they aren't good at. So that's the most frustrating part of the game is I know I can't shoot three, so I'm not going in the gym to piss myself off. I'm going to go in the gym and do something that, you know, makes me feel a little better. So I think that was the biggest thing that changed my whole mindset in the game. And I didn't come to like sophomore or junior year in college. It took me some time. So I'm happy I found it, but boy, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a lot of strength training, right? Like we're talking about like a ton of strength training, which I would argue is one of the things that so many individuals have a hard time staying diligent with. I could not agree more. I don't think you can tell, but by my little physique, 
you can tell that I hate the weight room. I hate it. But it's you. It's like more of like a love-hate relationship. But I'm trying to tell y'all, you have to lift like almost every day, especially like up here. You Because they're strong. They're fast. So it's like you kind of have to stay in shape. And especially like as a rookie, like not being able to play as much. And you got to find different ways to make a game-like situation for you outside of the game. So a few years under your belt, your junior year hits, and little do you know that we're about to be in a global pandemic and not just because of that, but your life is about to change completely. So talk to me a little bit about where your head's at going in to 2020. I was so excited. I was like anxious. We had just won a national championship the year before. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be the year. We're going to win two in a row. Like we're going to be crazy because our team, like we brought back our whole team except two people. Um, then we brought in a lot of re- reinforcements. We were going to be a lot faster team. So I'm like, oh, they couldn't handle this last year. They really won't handle us this year. So it was more of an excitement and like a hunger to get back on the court. Summer, like we have, we have like a month off for basketball. So you take May, that's your summer. So I'm like working out the whole time back home. And then I come back and we're just excited. I think as a team, we were just real anxious. Real anxious. Okay. How does that start to shape up for you? We are, we're, we're killing it. Actually, we probably lost like one game around this time when the, there was, there was like a bug in your ear. Like you would hear something about COVID. You would hear little things about COVID like months before it happened, but you don't ever think what actually happened is going to happen. You just think people are getting sick. And like, I, I mean, we all took it lightly. I will say that like, you could hear it all the time. We were like, Oh, okay. Well, it's just another one of the, like a swine flu. It's another one of the little flus that run around and you know, so we're about to play. We're playing a home game, I think. It had to be a home game. We're about to play a home game. We're about to play Iowa State. And we ended up losing that game. And that's the last game before they just shut everything everything down. Like, we ended on a loss, so I was really upset. But, like, we're on the way. We're literally about to take off on a charter flight to go, I think, to Kansas for a Big 12 tournament. And literally, Coach Mulkey tells the pilot, stop. They're trying to cancel the tournament. We don't know if we're going to even be able to play. But by that time, somebody a game had already happened. We had a bye because we were in first in our, um, what you call it, in our conference. So we're on the way there. And they were like, no, they're not going to let them play a game tonight. And they're thinking about canceling the tournament. So then we get off the plane thinking we're going to just practice, do this, this, and that. Then they shut the world down. Like they're sending us home. Classes are canceled. School's canceled. And I'm driving home like, what the heck just happened? Like, everything happens so fast I'm like mom I'm on the way home the world's ending <laughs> like what was going on <laughs> so I'm like just come home we're okay I'm like wow that was so fast yeah it all did I think everyone has like some sort of a similar story it was like everything felt completely normal and then nothing was normal at all and in fact there was like a new normal. So in your new normal, you started taking classes from home and the season was just kind of put on pause. Literally classes from home. The worst thing that could ever happen because it's like the teachers thought you weren't in the global pandemic and they just like, well, you're sitting at home. I as well load you up for work. And it was the worst ever. I can't even imagine. It's like, it's also, I say this all the time, but I can't imagine being in college when like social media was as big as it is now, like I, my heart goes out to like all of these people specifically really women, to be honest with you, because I feel like we can be our own biggest critics as it is, but it's so hard to like be navigating all those feelings that you're dealing with when you're in like your late teens, Mm -hmm. early twenties. And that's amplified by social media, completely different topic. But I honestly, like, I don't know how you've done it. Like you said, completely different topic. Like that social media is definitely a false reality. And some people understand that some people don't. And I just feel bad for the people that don't. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty good at it though. You've got, you're, you're crushing at like 123,000 plus on Insta. I think the last time I checked your TikTok, you're like climbing there too. Look, it's a, it's really an art. It's like a, you're leaving free money. If you don't figure out social media, I just want to let everybody know that once you figure out social media, you have like the answers to a lot of things. Like I said, the world's turning virtual. You need to get a hit point game. You need to get it on. I love that. I love that. If you're leaving free money, you heard it here first, hurdlers. You heard it here first. Okay. So you're taking these classes from home. You're working all the time. When does uh, getting back to play seem like something that's going to actually be viable for you and your teammates? Um, Around like July. Cause I was, I took a trip. 
because July, I mean, the world started opening up. So I'm like, I cannot sit in this house anymore. If I'm going to quarantine, I'm a quarantine in a hotel on a beach or something like I'm gonna just be outside. So then I take a trip to San Diego. And as soon as I go to San Diego, my coach texts me and like in the group message, our team in the group message, I was like, you guys, y'all think I can be out here July 12th. And this is like July 3rd. And I'm like, wow, we're, we're coming back. Like we get to go back on campus. And she's like, yeah, they're letting y'all back. They're trying to start games. They're trying to start practicing and opening things up a little bit more out here. And I'm just like, okay, well then, yeah. So around that time it was just talk and then things would fold like July 12th will come. And she's like, well, July 20th, July 20th come. Well, August 1st. So like it kept getting pushed back, but school was about to start and they were talking about in-person classes. So regardless, we had to move back on campus. It was just about getting in the gym and, you know, physical like sports is like more germs. So it was, how was you going to practice? How were you going to work out in a weight room where you had to wipe down the weights all the time? So I think that was the biggest thing, but you could tell that we were getting back into the groove and like people were about to start playing again. Did that make you anxious or were you one of the people that was just more of the mindset? Like, I'm just going to handle it as it comes. I, it was more like the anxious came more from uncertainty. It was more so like, I'm so irritated with saying that I can play or I can't play or I can't move here and I can't move here. I can go lift. I hadn't lifted forever. Everything was body weight. I was doing push-ups and stuff. So I was like, I know I look thin, like it's time to get in the weight room. <laughs> so I think that was the <laughs> biggest thing for me was just the uncertainty of it all. Yeah. The uncertainty. So you guys start playing question mark. Oh my gosh, we did. It was the best feeling ever. And like I, it, like I've said, the anxious feeling from last year kind of carried especially now ending on a loss now it's like oh now we really got to come hard so now the whole team's kind of tense like practice is real like you know chippy between coaches and players but it's just it's that's what made, I think that's what made Baylor so great all the time is we were always so like everything every day felt like it was a game every day felt like it was our last game so for us to have lost that game then we kind of had a lot of time to make up so practice was, you know, intense. And then we were leading up to scrimmage days. So it, it was getting real fun in the gym. <laughs> it, was get, it was getting real hot there. So talk me through then October 24th. It was a Saturday and we were scrimmaging. Saturdays are our scrimmage days at Baylor. I don't know how it is at every school, but our scrimmage days, either you hate it or you love it. I was the one that kind of loved scrimmage days, whether that was us playing three on three or five on five full court, just some pickup. I, that's one thing I looked forward to every freaking day. So whenever Saturdays was coming, I was like the first one there, whether that was, you know, lifting or treatment or whatever I had to do to get ready for scrimmage days. And I thought I had got there so early this day though. And I remember like getting there so early, like I have a Jeep. So I, I'm like pulling up and I'm like, wow, like the trainer not here, the coach is not here. Like nobody's here. Where is everybody? So I'm like, look, I call my mom. I'm like, mom. And at this point, my mom was about to take a flight to wherever she was going and so she was up and I'm like mom I think they canceled practice like I think they're playing a joke on me because like nobody is here like I don't see anybody she goes seriously well you need to call them I don't like when they play you know my mom you know moms they freak out (laughs) I don't like when they do that and I'm like mom it's okay I'll figure it out as I go don't you always have that moment where you like have a second where you regret telling your mom that like something was a little off because you're like oh now she's worrying my gosh like that's that's often that's often I'm like mom I shouldn't have told you that she goes I don't want you to go that way we're best friends which we are I don't know if y'all know about me my mom we're best friends but she still has this mom like knack and I'm like, mom, I'm just telling you this as a friend, not a daughter. But no, that was one of the time, definitely. And people started finally showing up. I got out and, you know, me, I'm, I act like this, this bubbly, loud, goofy person from 4 a.m. to like midnight. Like every now and then I'll get a little sleepy through the day, but I'll still be this person. So it's in the morning. I'm being loud, goofy, you know, the same thing I always, I'm always doing. And it was just like, it wasn't like a weird day. It was like the first scrimmage day, but you know, you can still feel like there's a cloud. And I'm like, where is this cloud? Like what, what's going on? We had lost our first game, I think. And I'm like, all right, I'm not losing again. So now the second game's up and like, I don't know. I, I play, I played point guard my senior year. So like at Baylor, our thing was set up to where the point guard never went to go offensive rebound. The point guard was always safety. So I'm backing up and I'm kind of reading the field, which is my favorite thing. Like I'm like, okay, cause they're going to try to throw this long pass and I'm going to get the steal and it's going to look so crazy. Like the crowd's going to look crazy. So 
men's scrimmage. <laughs> There's no crowd. I don't know why I'm thinking like that. <laughs> She's like, wait, let me just recap here. There's actually no crowd, but in my head. In my head, this is a game. So like I see a pass go up and my player that had just scored, which is Moon Erson, is the fastest person on our team. So I don't know why I thought she couldn't get back. Like till this day, I'm like, why did I even, why did that even happen? Like, why did I think that was okay? But I literally saw a ball. I saw that a lane that I could go and she was, you know, being a normal basketball player, trying to get back on defense, back to her player and is running top speed, but she sees a ball as well. So she's trying to get the ball running this way. I'm running this way and all we see is the ball and we just collide. And I was airborne. So when she collided, her head hit my hip bone. And that made like, I guess my spinal cord shake. And so that sent my spine into spinal shock because there's ways your spine isn't supposed to move technically. And so when your body feels that's more of a defense mechanism to just shut all the way down and my body did that. But in so many words, that kind of saved me from a lot of injury. Cause like if my body wouldn't have like just shut down, then say I brace myself and then I break things, you know, cause that's the number one when people start breaking things when you brace yourself. So my body like naturally shutting down kind of really helped, but it could have really like <laughs> messed a lot of things up as well. Yeah. So you come down from being airborne and talk me through what happens in the moments, minutes, hours that happen after that. Um, I was out for like, they say a minute and a half, two minutes. I was, I don't, I technically don't remember. I keep hearing stories about it. So I say it like I know, <laughs> but no, I don't remember. I, I, that I was not, but I remember looking up and we have banners, you know, you have, you know, banners from winning. Okay. <laughs> so I'm looking up at the banners and like, I'm in and out, like it's foggy, it's blurry. And then I hear like questions, which is my trainer. He kept asking me questions. And finally, I finally like, I'm, I'm like awake and I'm like, get me up. Cause I'm the type of player that's like, get me off the court. Like I'm, I'm okay. So I'm like, Alex, can I get up? Like, can you move me off the court so they can keep playing? And they, and now everyone's looking at me, like, you can just move me off the side. And he's like, do you okay? He's like, you want to get up? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, then get up. And I'm just like, okay. Like, I, I can't move. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I, I can't feel my, I, my legs. And so immediately my, I'm scared. Like if anybody, if anything happens, like, you know, I'm immediately trying to hold tears back. I'm like, oh my God, like really my legs, I can't move my legs. And at this time, my left arm is completely numb, but I can move my right arm. So I'm like, I'm so confused. Like, I want, like, why can't I move? Like I can feel my arm, but I can't feel my other arm. And he's like, move your toes. And I'm like, I- I'm trying. Like, I, so I, this why I'm getting a little irritated. <laughs> I'm like, I, I really am trying. So we got to figure something out. And he's like, okay, just breathe. And so now he thinks it's a neck injury because of what's happening. And so he's, my neck is stabilized. He's like, just don't move, just calm down. He's like, he's really calm, but you can tell that he's scared too. So now that's scaring me. And then coach Mulkey comes over there, who is like the hardest person I know. And she's looking like, are you okay? Everything's going to be all right. Like who she, who she is. She's real supporting. Like nothing's going to happen. We're going to get you to the hospital. And I'm like, I don't, I'm going to where? Like, just, just move me. Like, why can't I move? And she was like, no, we're going to get, we're going to get uh, the ambulance here. We're going to call the doctors. Um, you just stay here and you be still or whatever. And so I'm that part after that part and me going into the ambulance and me getting to the hospital is all like black. Like, I just remember being in the hospital after that. So like either I was sleep, but I know they gave me pain medicine. So I don't know if that knocked me out or so, but got to the hospital. And at this point, my, everyone's trying to figure out where my mom is, where my dad is. And my mom just landed in Atlanta. I think she was going to, and she's like, what? Like I'm coming out there now. So she got on the next flight back. And so my dad and my brother, like my dad got my brother out of school. They're driving up. This is like, I mean, out of school, out of practice and they're driving up. Cause it's like early morning. So they're like, what the, what's going on? Like what was happening? So they drive out there. Um, at this point, the doctors are just like poking me, like trying to like move me. And they're like, do you feel it? And so me being who I am, I'm, I'm looking like, I'm like looking so I can get out of the hospital. I'm not a hospital girl. So I'm looking at him and when he moves, I'm like, yeah, but I, I know I can't feel it. So I'm like crying. And Alex was like, does it hurt? And I'm like, 
no, I, I really just can't feel it. Like, I, I'm just saying yes. And I like, they're covering my eyes. They put like a block so I couldn't see it. And so they're like, can you, can you feel it? Or they're like, tell me when you feel it. And I'm just like, okay. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, are you doing it? And he was like, yeah. Um, and so at this point they poked me so much with the needle that I'm like bleeding. Cause they're trying to figure out like what was like my nerve that I can feel or a nerve that I can't feel. And it was just like, it was, it was a lost cause. And so I'm going through a lot of CTs, a lot of MRIs, a lot of different things at this point to where they finally admit me into the hospital because you have to be able to move yourself in order to leave a hospital. And I'm in there for a night. My brother stays the night with me and he's in distraught. My brother's like my, me and him are like the closest people ever. He's 19, younger than me. And he, when he started crying, I was holding myself together. <laughs> but when he started crying, it was more so like, oh my God, I'm really, this is really happening right now. Like, I can't believe this is happening right now. And so I think that was more of a reality slap in the face because I was more so as like, I'm going to get through this, right? I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Tomorrow's going to be back when the next morning comes and my arm, I can feel my arm. So it's like, okay, now we're moving. We're, we're, so we're going to happen. And so they bring in um, this neurosurgeon in there and he's just like, it's all subjective. Um, everything, this is spinal shock. He explains the injuries to me, explains what it is and explains that it happens to a lot of people, but it's more so on like impact of like waves for surfers or football players getting hit, you know, but it says not really common in basketball because it's not a high contact sport like football, but the way we hit, he explained and he saw the video. He was like, I can definitely see how this happened. And it's, it's, no, it's normal, but it's not the normal recovery isn't the same for everyone. Like he was basically explaining that some people never come back. Some people come back in two years. Some people come back in months, weeks. It just depends. Everything's subjective. And so I'm like, depends on like, I got to be a strong. Like, what do I have to be? Like, I'm trying to figure out like, I have to be healthy. I have to eat this. I have to, what do I have to do in order for it to be okay? And he's just like, no, it's literally just when your body feels like it's safe enough to wake up. So that's, I think, again, uncertainty is what made it so annoying. It's just like one day I can wake up and walk and the next day I can't, like it doesn't make sense. So I think that was the biggest thing for me. Oh my God. I mean, what an incredible story. Basically what you've described here is you, you're temporarily paralyzed being that you can't walk you got some of this feeling back in your arm. It's so interesting to me hearing you talk about like wanting to look at them as they're poking you and make it seem like, you know, that you're going to be okay. Uh, where do you think maybe that comes from? Like, do you think that you've always been someone that's been really independent or do you think that was just kind of like a fight or flight moment for you? It's definitely me being like, I'm not trying to be in here or like, it's, it's me. It's more of a controlling thing for me. You know, like I'm a very controlling person. So like I'm in this, this situation that I can't control. So if I can find a way to control where I am, then I'm going to figure it out. And I think that was a lot of like my downfall, but a lot of the reason why I, you know, got through the injury as well as I did. It's, it's exactly what so many of us struggle with doing when we come to these hurdles or any difficult moment in life. So many of us, like we want to find our own solutions without admitting that there are other people that are going to know better than us. There are people like there's a reason for neurologists, yeah. you know, like they know a lot of stuff that we don't know. So to open ourselves up to that assistance when we don't think that we want it, but we might need it. That's like really scary. It's crazy. And it's definitely a reason why I felt like I felt the need to talk about my injury after like days had went by and like the people I met, like going to different, like, like I've met people that were paralyzed, like for a while, like years since birth, I've met people like that. And I watched them like have no hope. Or I watched them like in our sessions where I would be like literally right next to someone that maybe had just was paralyzed as well as me, but I have the mindset that I'm not going to be this way forever. They just had no hope. And I was just like, I want to talk about this for people like that. Like I want to give the people something to look forward to, you know, down the line. So I thought that was the biggest thing for me. And it's honestly a huge reason why I partner with freaking quest rookie challenge, because they were so invested in, 
finding three people that, you know, won their hearts basically and, and giving them a $20,000 grant, you know, to further their quest in helping themselves or helping their community. So I have all, I love that about Quest and the rookie challenge that they came up with. And I just think that that was like the biggest thing for me was getting that out. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, AG1 from Athletic Greens. I feel like I'm getting so many messages lately from new people joining the AG1 gang, and I love to hear it. I have been taking AG1 from Athletic Greens for, God, I've lost track now, at least three or four years, and I cannot get enough of it. I can't imagine my day-to-day without it. It's an all-in-one nutritional supplement that's got 75 whole food sourced ingredients as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. This has completely replaced all of those maybe not so good for me gummy vitamins that I was taking before, and it helps me feel my best. I shake mine up with iced cold water and ice cubes, sometimes a squeeze of lemon, and I bring it to my desk first thing in the morning. It's kind of like my signal to myself that, hey, it's time to get to business. Of course, AG1 from Athletic Greens has a deal for you. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get a free year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Also want to give some love to my friends at Beam. Here's the facts. Sleep affects everything. It affects your overall health, your brain function, your mood. It even can affect weight loss. Poor sleep quality and short sleep duration have been known to increase the risk of metabolic, cardiovascular, and respiratory disease. Sleep is the cornerstone of wellness, which is why it is so important to get a quality night of it. That for me is where Beam's dream comes in. Beam's dream powder is here to give you the best sleep of your entire life. I'm telling you, I'm not waking up a zillion times in the middle of the night anymore, and I feel like I'm getting more restful, just quality sleep. I have mine with some hot water and frothed almond milk, and I just bought myself a bag of mini marshmallows. (laughs) Dream powder is a comforting hot cup of cocoa with no added sugar or artificial sweeteners that you can enjoy before bed every night. Get the sleep of your dreams with Beam's Dream Powder. If you subscribe now, you'll get 35% off your first month of Dream, plus a free mug and a frother. Head on over to beamorganics.com slash hurdle. Again, that is beamorganics, B-E-A-M-O-R-G-A-N-I-C-S.com slash hurdle and use code hurdle at checkout for 35% off your first month today. Pause or cancel at any time. When do you think you turned the corner from maybe being a little angry and like, how is this happening to me to this isn't something that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life? I really, um, it was more so my brother, honestly. Um, I was, I was upset. I was definitely upset. And I felt like, I felt like there was no hope as well. And being with being the role model that my brother looked up to and like being that person that he kind of went to for everything. When I saw how down he was, it was at a, it was a moment where I was just like, man, forget it. Like (laughs) this stuff isn't working. I was trying everything, eating freaking guacamole. They think that that's (laughs) one of the things that helped. Like, I know I was eating it like every day, all day because I I think they maybe just tell you that so that like you have something good to to do. Like, you know what? You're not doing so hot. You should eat some guacamole. Freaking guacamole. So I'm like, I don't want the guacamole no more. Like I had just a moment for a second. And so I look at him and I'm talking to my dad right now. And I'm like, I don't want the guacamole. And my brother, he's, he hates when I say it, but he's a lot more emotional than me. A lot more, but he's my younger brother. Like he was the young, he was the little boy. So we cradled him a bit. bit. (laughs) And so he he was a lot emotional. And I looked over there and he was fighting back tears because he just did not understand what was going on. And like at that moment, it became like a, well, this is going to be something else he looks up to me for, or this is going to be something else I you know, I overcome for him and me kind of thing. 
when do you start to get feeling in your legs again? I, so I, it took me three days, I want to say to get out of the hospital. And it was literally, you have to be able to walk up a flight of stairs in order to leave. And so my toes started coming back, like in the middle of the first like day that I had been in the hospital, like my, for COVID, you can't have your whole family in there. So my brother, my dad, my mom were kind of cycling, coming in and out of the hospital. And my mom was in the hospital and I took a nap. I woke up to her. She remember she was gone. So I woke up, my dad was with me and then I went to sleep. My mom was there and I'm like, Oh my God, like, Hey. And so I'm like, she gave me a hug and like, I could feel like a tingling in my toe. And I'm like, I'm like, mom, I think my toe, I said, I think I can't feel my toe. And she goes, what? And so now she's calling the doctor, you know, my mom, I already told y'all. So I'm like, Oh my God, mom, like that's going to actually perform a trick. Like, I just really think I just feel a tingle in my toes. And the nurse comes in there and she goes, can you feel this? And she starts like flicking my big toe. And I'm like, yes, I can freaking feel it. <laughs> and she's like, can you feel this? So now she's going down like my feet. And I'm like, yes, I can feel that. Like I can feel it. And so now my mom is like tearing up. I'm tearing up. I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get out of here. Like, I'm going to get out of this. Like I'm going to get up. And so we start, um, she starts doing like little tickling tricks and I, I'm very ticklish, like to where I was like, Oh my God, like I can feel it. Like I'm that's, that's, that's there. And so like, it was like 4am, 5am. I woke up and I had to pee so bad. And so I'm like ringing the thing or whatever. And they lift my leg and they rub like the, the outside of my leg. And I was just like, can you do that again? Like, can you, can you just, and so I put my hand there and I'm just like, oh my, I'm like, okay. And so that's when I was just like, you know, there's a God, like, I'm like, there's that, that we're going to figure this out. Like if I just lean on you and everything, we're going to figure it out. Plus there were scriptures everywhere. Cause again, I go to Baylor, which is a Baptist school. So there's scriptures all over the hospital, like on the floor, on little, little ceilings or on the sides of the walls or whatever. So I was reading the scriptures. I was, there was a lot going on. I was very emotional close for me, but it was like the second day I was in the hospital, I was like bending a little bit more and I was, it was a little shaky, a little wobbly, but I was, you know, I could feel. So I think that was the biggest thing. Talk to me about the feelings you had when you got to be back with your team again for the first time. It was so random. It was like a random day everything just turned on. Like I could feel like I was sliding my feet. I was going on ladders and I, it felt like, you know, the mode was about to go. And then they were like, dude, you can jump in a drill, like see if you can jump in this drill. And it was like, it was a really like basic drill, but they were like, see if you can do it. And it was just like some dribbling drills um, up to half court and then back or whatever. And I think that was like, it was just a light. Like I was like, there's a light at the end of this tunnel and I'm starting to see it. Like now I just got to keep going forward. So I think it was, it was, like I said, it was very emotional. Um, my teammates, they were crazy throughout the whole journey. And to see them, I just feel like everybody went through the injury with me. And like, it was the deepest thing I could go through, whether that was like the Baylor fans or my coaches or my players, like they were with me every step of the way. And you could feel that they were going through whatever I was going through. What was the timeline on that? It was, I want to say it was like a week and a half, two weeks of being out of the hospital. Wow. So this happened like relatively quickly. I think it was one. So like it once they basically idea of everything is shock your body into like back into what it was. So whether that's getting on a treadmill and then falling on your face, then your body's going to figure it out. Like, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so that's how I looked at it when they would explain it. And that was like my form of like, well, you're telling me to jump off a building. And if I don't land, then keep doing it because it'll, it'll figure it out. <laughs> It'll figure it out. It'll figure it out. So, and you also mentioned that you had the opportunity to like meet some really cool people. Do you remember anyone in particular that really left an impact on you? I still talk to him now. And so I didn't meet him during the, like the whole paralysis trip and like the doctor trips. And I, I I'm going to say, I'm not going to say a story. I'll say his name. His name is Samaje. And I knew him, I know him because he was going through a time where he reached out to me and I spread, read about him and all this stuff. And he was a football player. And I was just like, 
you're the best person I ever met in my life because he called me and he still had, you know, his, his was way worse than mine. He had like a, a speech problem as well. And so he went for him to build up the strength to get on FaceTime with me and talk to me. I was like in awe and he, he became my hero. And like, he, he like solidified the fact as to why I did what I did and why I was okay with putting the videos that were, I know hard to watch. So like, he was the reason why I did that for people like him. Cause he saw, he still has hope or he'll still like text me, like I'm doing this better. I'm doing that better. And it's just like those, th- some days I need that. And he's there. He's my hero. And a lot of my days. I mean, we're talking about the, the physical, uh, burdens, I guess that would come hand in hand with not only this temporary paralysis, but then on being then on that comeback journey, but we haven't even touched much on the mental side of things. I did see your, your CBS segment. I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about what that's been like for you, what it's been like for you navigating the emotions and so many of the thoughts that came hand in hand with such a traumatic time. It took a, it took a lot. I was in, this is like still a really hard conversation for me and it really bothers me, (laughs) but it, it took me some time because if you can hear like, like you see how fast everything happened. And like, so like, if you can see that everything happened so fast and I wasn't able to kind of deal with different emotions as like the right way. Um, I didn't put myself first in a lot of situations where, like I said, I was doing things for other people. I was doing things to get back on the court with my team. I was doing things because my, I didn't want to see my brother like that instead of really locking into how I felt. So, um, it was a lot of, you know, different specialists had to see because people were kind of worried about me and how I was handling things. They thought that it was more of like a mask for what was deeper. And, looking back, it definitely is. And it was, and I say is because it's something that I'm still getting through to where it's conversations that I'm still having that I kind of have to pause or I have to like push them back, push them like off to a different time. But my um, psychologist basically says it's like a mental block for me to where there's some things that I don't, I choose not to talk about and I choose not to remember, but they happen. And I, I feel like they didn't happen. And I think this was one of the situations, like the whole injury itself the, once I got on, back on the court, I tried to erase it away. Like everybody would talk about it. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm back on the court. Like, I don't need to talk about that. It, it happened. That's like a sprained ankle. In my opinion, that's how I was taking it, which was, you know, very bad. And that's why I'm, I am who I am when it comes to like the mental aspect of life. Cause I'm still battling something that I never want anybody to feel. So I'm trying to go out of my way for people to be be okay with talking to specialists, be okay with going to therapy and be okay with being themselves and being emotionally who you are instead of trying to push everything off. So again, like I said, it's still something I'm dealing with. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it would be kind of weird if you weren't still dealing with it. I mean, it didn't happen all that long ago in like your journey. Did you start seeking out talk therapy to try to work through that? No, it was, it was definitely recommended a lot of things have been recommended that I, I kick myself in the butt. Like even right now, I'm just like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things that I could have done a lot better, but I'm, I'm in the process of doing them better right now. Um, I'm definitely looking for a different talk therapist through New York Liberty who have done a great job at, you know, making me feel loved and making me feel that I'm not the only one that has a battle or a hurdle to get through in my life. And it's just about like, you know, finding the right people that support you throughout the situation. I think I'm around the right people now. And I was before it's just now I'm trying to take advantage of it. There's like a moment that has to happen where you have to get to this place that you're in right now. Like you said it so well, 20 seconds ago, like I know that now I can do better. It's like at any moment you have the opportunity to make that choice, to make that choice, to go in a different direction. And sometimes we get so frustrated or mad with ourselves, about how things have been that we deliberately choose not to make a change right now, but understanding again, that like you can make that choice right now. Yes. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's so empowering. It's so empowering. And like you as a role model, like I said before, like throw out like 200,000 at least combined social followers. Like there's so many people and I'm sure you interact with them every single day that like look to you and your story and are just like so blown away and inspired by you. 
Yeah. And I, that comes with a lot of burden because like now. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. It's, I mean, everyone, you know, they know the, they know my story, they know me. And now I kind of have to put on face all the time. Like, I feel like I can't have a bad moment. I can't have a, a time where I have, I go off on social media because I'm angry or I, you know, I, that is also a maturity thing that comes with time, but it's, you kind of have to know that we're human. Like no matter whatever your role model, whoever your role model is, could be Beyonce. Beyonce does a great job at looking like the same person all the time, but that comes again with, you know, time and experience. But like I said, I'm, I'm still a rookie. I've been, I've had problems. I've done some things and it's just like, I just, you know, I live and I learn, but as I live and learn, I noticed that with this, you know, with so much is, with so much is given, so much is expected. So, and that's, that's me right now. Yeah. I mean, the thing is though, and like, I love Beyonce, don't get me wrong, but like, I don't want to like feel the pressure to like be that one dimensional, like that status quo all the time. And like, again, Beyonce is a queen. So I'm not like sitting here (laughs) shit talking her, but like, there's so much value to that vulnerability. And it's just a lesson that we have to learn. And that doesn't mean that like everyone's going to be like obscenely comfortable, like letting out all of their, you know, issues to the world. I'm not saying that you need to do that either, but I am saying that like, it's a good and normal and like expected thing for like life, not to be perfect period. Perfect period. Cause like I said, Instagram, a false reality. I'm trying to tell everybody don't, paint me to be the person you see on Instagram because I will wear baggy sweats and a t-shirt and not brush my hair. I do not look like that 24 seven. I think that's my biggest thing right now with social media. I go through times where it's like, I don't want it no more, or I just want to delete it. But I, like I said, this world is turning virtual. So it's about more finding your life and, you know, getting it to understand social media and the normal life. Yeah. Yeah. So then Talk to me about how you felt on draft day, because what a freaking journey, man. Like you're, we're still in COVID times. This draft is unlike the other drafts that came before it. So talk to me about what you thought was going to happen on draft day after your journey. I was a nervous wreck, honestly, like I had just got hurt like last uh, the week before. So I had just like, my hamstring was, I felt like it was in two. I felt like I didn't have a hamstring and they were just like, you're going to take time. It's going to take months. And I'm just like, I don't have months. Like I, I, this is my new life. Like I'm about to enter a new journey. I don't have months. So draft day, everyone, I was on national TV when I got hurt. So all the recruit, all the scouts know I'm hurt. So I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not going to get drafted high. I'm like, <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm really of no worthy. Like now you have to nurse me back to health and hope that I'm just this person. So I was expecting the worst. I'm also on ESPN. I'm just like, oh, uh, they only pick so many people to be on ESPN. And, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be like the last pick. I'm on ESPN. Like this is so embarrassing. <laughs> so I'm literally the, a nervous wreck. And then I finally got drafted. I'm going to go in and say I really wanted to get drafted to New York or L.A. just because of the opportunities in those cities. And I want to be a model. So, like, it's just like those are the two cities I need to be in. So I go. I I think I found out, like, pick number 11, that they were like, BD, New York's going to take you at 17. Just be ready. And I'm just like, why would you tell me I wanted to be surprised? Like, what's going Why would you do that to me? You could have told my dad, my mom, but you tell me. So... I number, they tell me at 11. So I'm literally walking around my house. Like, I'm like, what pick are we at? And they're like 14. I'm like, okay. So then I'm going to eat. And I'm like, what pick? They're like 16. So now I'm running over there. I'm trying to fix my makeup. Get from the camera. I'm like, what's my surprise face? I'm working on my surprise face the whole time. So I'm like, when they say your name, act surprised. I'm like, but don't cry because now it's going to look forward because you know. <laughs> so I got, they called my name and they're like, it was New York. And I, I was still like, to still hear it, like, I was told that I was going to be pick number 17, but to hear my name being called by Kathy Engelberg, I was like, oh my God, Like I finally did it. I've been chasing this dream for what, like 10 years now. And now it's here. Like it's, it's finally here. Like it's just at my hands now. So 
I don't know. It was, it was a beautiful moment. And then the waterworks started coming because it was like, you really weren't supposed to be here. Like you really weren't supposed to be here. Like you weren't supposed to walk like a couple months ago. You are like, you know, scouts and recruits and you weren't supposed to go to Baylor. You, you know, people didn't think you were good enough. So it was just a lot that was like going like just the naysayers in my head. And then now I'm here. So I think it was just, it was one of the best moments of my life, honestly. That moment that you just said, like people didn't say that you were good enough for someone who feels like they too struggle with that. Maybe it's a comparison game. Maybe it's just self-inflicted that negative self-talk. What kind of advice do you offer to them to get through those challenging moments? The advice I live by, which is not letting anyone define your fate. Like, I think that's my biggest thing that it's just, it's always in my mind. I'm always thinking about it because like I said, if I was to let the naysayers say that I wasn't going to go to basketball. I mean, it wasn't going to college for basketball. Then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have tried anything or I wouldn't have tried to prove them wrong. Or if I would let someone tell me that I wasn't going to be able to walk, which they did, then I probably would have just, I would have been like with no hope, no faith, no, you know, want to do anything. So I think that's my biggest thing is just doing what you want, how you want to do it and being unapologetically yourself no matter what, um, regardless of what the person next to you is saying. I think that's the biggest advice I can give anybody. It's kind of like that moment, like, why not me? Right. I remember I was listening to a podcast this morning with Shalane Flanagan and she heard about the six marathons all being at this end of the year. And she was like, someone should run all six of those. And then she had a moment and she was like, why don't I run all six of these marathons? Like, why not me? You know? And I mean, that's a really crazy freaking example. I think there are a lot of easier, (laughs) why not me moments that we can reflect on, but you're, you're preaching it right here. It's like in any moment, like we all have the opportunity to be our own biggest hype woman, you know, like, so what is it that you want? And like, what's stopping you from being the person to go out and get after it? Exactly. That's literally all it is quick hit here. I mean, important moment. We're talking about like the WNBA draft, such an exciting moment for you. I want to talk about the WNBA in general, and maybe it's more of like women's sports in general, right? I recently wrote an article where I interviewed a bunch of female professional cyclists and in cycling, for example, women are finally seeing the kind of pay that men are seeing in the professional cycling circuit and starting to get the media time that men have been getting for decades and decades and decades. How do you feel about the coverage of uh women's professional basketball right now and maybe where it's going? I think we'll, forever be fighting uh, whenever we see the day where we're equal or you know to the same point as guys or men I mean I think it'll it'll be a beautiful day I think we should celebrate but right now I mean it doesn't look it's it's getting better like I, I hate to be that person that's constantly like we need this this and this and this and this and not you know you know kudos to the people that have gotten us here Candace Parker uh Tina Tina Thompson, freaking Lisa Leslie, you know, the people that went through the struggle for me now. And now I want to go through the struggle for the people in the future, because technically is this a struggle? They've gotten this a lot, but it's still not enough. And I think that's the biggest thing for women is that if we stop here, then what are, what do we do this for in a way? So no, it's, it's not where it should be. The women's coverage is not where it should be, but I think social media does play in our favor. I think social media for women is crazy i think we kind of run the social media world right now and i think we just need to take that under our belt like how they put our games on twitter and they put our games on facebook live and stuff like that i think that's good for us because now men see us in a new light like they see us on social media they're gonna go google us they're gonna go find us on instagram and stuff so if you see me on instagram then you also see me pushing for my game that's going to literally appear on your phone then you're gonna want to look at it so i think that's a good thing for us Um, and I just, I don't know. I love the direction it's going though. I want to say that, um, although I hate it now, (laughs) I love the direction it's going. When you, uh, think back to those, you know, one and a half, two weeks where you were really going through the thick of it, like questioning everything in your life. If you had to think about maybe a piece of advice that was offered to you during that time, what comes to mind? Honestly, it's way like nothing with to do with athletics. Someone literally just told me go get some ice cream. Okay. So it would, I remember like, it was like day, like four of me being out of the hospital and I was trying to ride a stationary bike. I couldn't, I just had to like rock. And so it killed me. And I was like in there crying, like, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. Like my life, I need my legs. Like I I just kept saying, Alex, I I just need my legs. Like, and I'm stuck. I can't even ride a bike. I can't walk. I need a walker. And so someone, it was a random person in the Feral Center that just walked, like who was meeting with, I want to say somebody, I don't know who it was, but they were just like, I've been hearing about your story. Um, I've been watching you walk in here every day and just go get some ice cream. And I'm just like, you're freaking right. Like, go get some, like, just go, like, do something where your life isn't, this isn't your job. Like, your job right now is to play basketball. Go do something that doesn't involve your job. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. So now I I paint, um, I color, I (laughs) go get ice cream when I want. So I think that was just have some time to yourself. And that's how I took it when he said it. I don't know if he meant it that way, but I definitely took it way deeper than I should have because it was just go get some ice cream. Yeah. But like how many times in like a regular day should I just like go up and metaphorically like get some ice cream? Like there's so much stuff in our day to day. Like you couldn't control the fact that you felt like you were like waddling on that bike, but you did have a moment to control yourself, like taking a walk to wherever you wanted to get your ice cream. Do you have a favorite ice cream flavor? Should we know about this? I literally love anything. Cookies and cream, Oreos, vanilla, just plain. (laughs) <laughs> oh, plain. Wow. Okay. You were getting real spicy over here. <laughs> Just a plain girl, <laughs> the complete opposite of plain. If you go to DD's Instagram, but on an ice cream flavor note, she likes to keep it plain. <laughs> Just cookies and cream like this. All right. Respect, respect. No heat on that. Okay. We're winding down here. Um, earlier before you did mention your partnership with quest, talk to me a little bit about that and why that's so meaningful for you. First off, it's meaningful because it's my first deal ever. And it's my, what's beautiful about that is I grew up eating freaking quest bars. So it's just like to be with quest signed with quest. I was just like, heck yeah. My agent brought it up to me. So it's, it's bigger and more beautiful because it's now having to do with something I believe in and something that I'm really passionate about, which is, you know, supporting people's quest on different things in their community. They're doing a really good job at making rookies of any kind, um, feeling encouraged and celebrated and supported, which as a rookie, I think that's the biggest thing because you're a rookie, you're in a different city, you're in a different scenery, different team, different coaches. And quest is a good job at making us feel, like I said, celebrated. And, um, I think that was big for me. And so basically you just enter this challenge, um, at questworkingchallenge.com for a chance to win $20,000 to help further your personal community impact. And so I like it. I like it. And I, uh, earlier before you had mentioned that you wanted to be in New York or LA because you want to model. I mean, we just had our rookie season here, but beyond that, like, what do you see, you know, your future looking like, what do you see coming down the pipe for you? I hope modeling. Um, I think my whole life people have tried to put me in like this, like one one, like lane kind of thing, like basketball, basketball, basketball. And I think being up here, I've realized that you don't, as a woman, as a person, you don't have to be identified as this one thing, you know, like I'm, I'm a businesswoman who happens to play basketball. Technically I went to school. I got a degree just like everybody else. So I think that was my biggest thing. Um, and so now I'm hoping I can do a little bit of everything. I want to get into cosmetics a little bit. I want to get into modeling and basketball. And I want to be able to say that I did all of that. And I think the biggest person I look at is Rihanna. Like she was a singer. She was a Caribbean singer the really rare for her, you know, she could have really like killed what she was doing, which is being a Caribbean singer. It's not many of her in this industry and she was killing it. And then she decides to do makeup. Then she decides to do lingerie and then she decides to do skincare products. And now she has like her home, she's trying to put her own like fashion designer, you know, clothes together. So I think she definitely showed me that as a woman, as a person, as anything, you don't have to be just one, one thing you know, one trick pony. I want to be a multiple. Yeah. (laughs) Multiple trick ponies, lots of ponies. I feel like you got a lot of tricks on the court and you have a lot of tricks up your sleeve when it comes to off the court as well. Someone goes to your Instagram page. They see a beautiful woman with over 123,000 followers, a basketball player, uh, going after her passions here. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? 
I see, you know, a confident person who had to teach themselves confidence. Um, and I just want people to see me. And when they see me, they see someone who is unapologetically them. And I hope that I'm able to show people that look like me, whether that's a woman, a little girl, a little black girl who wasn't, who doesn't feel like they're the, you're going to be somebody. They're like the nerds with the glasses, real skinny, me. <laughs> I just want you to know that your, your time is coming. Stay patient and, you know, just be confident unapologetically you at all times. I think that's my biggest thing. And that's just who I am. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself, aside from go get some ice cream, some advice looking back on that hurdle moment, three, four, five days removed from the hospital, trying to get back to the woman that you knew before you got temporarily paralyzed. What do you tell yourself? You are not invincible. Okay. I literally, I felt that I was on top of the world, um, that this is going to be, that this is my time and there's nothing that can stop me, but things happen to people and you're not in control of what happens tomorrow. So live your life now and live your life looking at the now and not the future. Um, live in the now. Live in the now. Dee Dee Richards, I'm so grateful to be one of your first official podcasts. Thank you so much for your time. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Where do they get inspired by you? Give me all your details. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and I'm trying to get back on YouTube. And I usually have the same name everywhere, which is Dee Dee Rich too. <laughs> okay. Amazing. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.